Good morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this nine o'clock worship service here at Ocean View United Methodist Church. So glad that you are here. Welcome to those who are joining us virtually. You're an important part of us as well. This opportunity together. At this time, we will have a couple of announcements brought to us by our liturgist, Sandy Core. Would you come forward, Sandy? Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Friendship registers are back in the pews. And we thank you for recording your presence today, uh, as that information keeps our database up to date. Uh, if you're a first-time visitor, uh, we really appreciate you filling out that register, and uh, we would love to acknowledge your presence. Rick is holding one up right there so you can see it, as is Delane. Uh, it's very much appreciated. Uh, are you interested in the health and wellness of Ocean View United Methodist Church? Do you have any ideas or suggestions for health-related events or a particular vision that you would like to share? If so, please consider sharing your time and your talents as a member of the Health and Wellness Committee. Time commitment is minimal and meetings uh, are held approximately every other month to discuss, plan, and organize the direction of the health and wellness within our congregation and community. If interested, please contact Sissy Yelly or call the church office. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sandy. Let us pray. Gracious God, what a, a joy and, and a blessing it is to be able to come out this morning to worship you. We pray that your blessings, your spirit be with us in a, a way that inspires us, that lifts us, that renews us, that heals us. And we pray that you open our hearts and minds to receive all the blessings that you would give us this morning. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, we bring to you those things in our lives that only you can touch and make right. We ask you to forgive us where we have fallen short. We thank you for the blessings that you have given us that have brought us peace and joy and love over the, the week or the time since we were last here with you. And we pray that you be present with us in our worship today. Be present here, be present in our homes, be present in our communities and bless each of those places that are broken, that need you. Be present in our world today, Lord. Be present with our leadership, our president and that, the current administration the Congress, the Supreme Court, all those, Lord, who are in place to lead this country. Help them, Lord, to lead towards peace with righteousness and justice. We pray for your healing across the land. We thank you that the tide is turning with the coronavirus, 
in our country, and we pray, Lord, that it will continue to do so until it is no longer a threat. And we know that in other parts of the world, they're not as fortunate with the vaccines and with ways to fight this virus. And we pray, Lord, that you continue to make that possible so that the whole world connected can know healing and wholeness from disease, but also know connection and healing and wholeness in you. Lord, we celebrate this First Communion Sunday we've been able to enjoy together for such a long time. We thank you for this, this sacrament that reminds us of how much you love us, how much you've sacrificed for us, and that we belong to you. So be present with us in a special way as we celebrate the sacrament and remind us again, God, that we belong to you and that you have called us to make you known to the world. So we ask this prayer in Christ's name, amen. At this time, we invite Sandy to come back and share with us a scripture for our reading this morning. Our scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. And the crowd came together so that they, that's Jesus and the disciples, could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of demons he cast out demons. And he called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed, that house can be plundered. Truly I tell you, People will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they, they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Thank you, Greg, for reminding us of the love that lifts us and for which we give thanks. Would you pray with me? Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of these, your beloved people's hearts, be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The sign read, you don't have to be crazy to work here, but it helps. It was posted in a local church's main office, taped on a bulletin board behind the church administrative assistance desk. These words took on a whole new meaning. No, if you go into Lisa Clark's office here at Ocean View, you will not find that particular sign. However, I suspect Lisa can certainly relate to the message. No one knows better than Lisa what a busy, hectic, sometimes confusing place <laughs> the church can be on any given day. Things did slow down a bit during the COVID-19 restrictions. Now, as the church reopens more and more fully, there is a lot more going on. As always, there are worship services to plan, classes and studies to run, mission outreach efforts to organize. Now we get to add new things and resume former things like choir and praise team rehearsals, in-person committee meetings, and chicken pie, chicken baking fundraisers to run. With so much mission and ministry activity going on, yes, it can become a little crazy around here at times. That humorous sign is not far off when it comes to the church in general, because when it comes to the church, we are rather different. We have social fellowship here, but we are not a social club. We are community-minded and involved, but we're not a civic organization. In fact, the church's view of reality can be out of sync with a lot of the prevailing views of the world. Our view of reality can often be in direct opposition of that of the world's. So here we are. Instead of sitting on lawn chairs or by the pool, we're sitting on pews. If we drive along the highways and the streets right now, we would find people washing their cars, playing on a golf course, or working on their tans at the beach. We are here lifting up our hearts and minds to worship and pray and hear the word of God proclaimed. There are folks planning to grill out right now, or perhaps they're sipping on mimosas and Bloody Marys for brunch. This morning, we look to the table with anticipation and joy to breaking the bread and drinking the cup. We are excited to break the fast of communion we have been observing for so long. We anticipate sharing in the signs of the body and blood of Jesus Christ 
We look forward to sharing together as kinfolk, family, made brothers and sisters by the power of the Holy Spirit. We anticipate encountering Jesus Christ in a special way as we remember his sacrifice of love for us. At the table, we are reminded again of who we really are. To those outside looking in, it may all seem a little odd, even crazy. When we consider the scripture text this morning, seeming just a little bit crazy to the world may reveal something of what it means to be the kinfolk of Christ. In our text, the word going around on the street was that Jesus was beside himself. They said he was out of his mind. They were putting it somewhat politely. His enemies, the Jewish religious leaders, insultingly declared that Jesus was possessed by Satan or Beelzebub, which was the name for the devil in that day. In fact, they said Jesus cast out demons because he was in league with the ruler of the demons. The word got back to Jesus' immediate family. The scriptures indicate that Mary, his mother, and at least two of his brothers and two of his sisters came to restrain Jesus. In other words, they came in their white coats with a straitjacket to forcibly take him away. They stood outside the door of the house where he was. The room was so packed with people sitting around Jesus, his family couldn't reach him. They had to send in after him to call him. The message got passed on to those sitting around Jesus, and they told him, your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. Jesus' response is the classic definition of what it means to be kinfolk of Christ. He replied, who are my mother and my brothers? Again, those who heard him must have seen this question as further evidence that their appraisal of his mental state was correct. They must have been thinking, man, you don't even recognize your own kinfolk? Yes, he has really lost it. Maybe Jesus is suffering from amnesia or some sort of early onset dementia. Jesus was not finished with his response to their accusations. Looking at those sitting all around him, Jesus continued, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. So who were those around him? With whom did Jesus generally hang out? Not the ones the world might expect. They were simple, uneducated fishermen, tax collectors, women, including prostitutes and women of ill repute, those he had healed 
from demon possession, leprosy, withered hands and limbs, all kinds of sickness and disease. There were a few respectable people here and there, but certainly not the priests, the religious authorities, the pious Pharisees and Sadducees, leaders of the Jewish nation. The powerful were the ones who accused Jesus of being part of Team Beelzebub. The religious were the ones who stood in the position of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, which Jesus warns is the unforgivable sin. So let's take a moment and pause here. There are still people who live with the fear that they have done the unforgivable sin, something so dire and heinous that even God cannot forgive them. Some scholars believe it is so unlike Jesus to suggest such a thing as an unforgivable sin that they cast doubt as to whether he actually said it. Yet it cannot be denied that in three of the four Gospels, it's noted that Jesus said this. Clearly, its meaning must be significant. Pastor David Ruggs tells how one morning he was roused from sleep around 3 a.m. by the ringing of the phone. The person on the other end of the line was distraught because she said, she had committed the unforgivable sin. Reverend Rogue said, it's interesting to me that such calls often occur at such an hour after the bars are closed. The woman went on to say that at some part, point in her life, she had been really angry about something and had said, expletive, the Holy Spirit, you fill it in. Now she was remorseful, but she knew that Jesus had said that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit was unforgivable. Therefore, she was sure that there was no hope for her, either in this world or in the next. Throughout the ages, until this very moment of time, there have been those who despair, feeling God has disowned them. However, if you're worried about whether you have committed the unforgivable sin, don't worry. You have not. If you are worried, that is the evidence that your conscience is still sensitive to the difference between right and wrong you still can discern between what is good and what is evil. You are still able to be led by the light of Christ. There is nothing that God cannot forgive if you humbly seek for God's forgiveness. In Mammoth Cave, Kentucky, the waters in the farthest recesses of the cave are completely dark. The fish that swim there are blind. 
The structure of their eyes is intact. They're fine. But the optic nerve has atrophied. They have eyes, but cannot see. If they were to swim out into the sunlight, they could not tell the difference between that and midnight. Friends, those who worry, those who need to worry, will not be the ones who are worried. The non-worried are like the religious leaders who accused Christ of being evil. Their vision was so distorted by their own anger, fear, hatred, jealousy, and self-righteousness that they called Jesus' works evil and his light darkness. They would never seek God's forgiveness. They would never believe they were in need of it. The risk for us all is that when we shut our eyes and our ears to goodness and what is right long enough, it damages our conscience and our souls. We will eventually come to the place where we can no longer tell the difference between good and evil, nor will we want to. The flame of light that is within us is snuffed out when we do this. The religious authorities could look at the goodness done by Christ, which was the work of the Holy Spirit. Instead of being moved by it, inspired by it, they called it evil. That is the sin against the Holy Spirit about which Jesus spoke. Those who do the will of God are the kinfolk of God. How can you distinguish the kinfolk of Jesus? While the world practices loveless power, his brothers practice the power of love. The world resists evil with evil, while his sisters overcome their enemies with love. The world preaches revenge, while his mothers preach forgiveness. The world lives for the things of this world. Greed is the creed. Wealth is their God. The kinfolk of Christ live to give, not just to get. They give in marriage, give in friendships, give in the community, give in the world. We are gracious when we receive and we are generous when we give. The world promotes selfishness. The kinfolk of Jesus engage in service. Beloved, the kinfolk of Jesus are just crazy enough 
to love our Lord and Savior enough to live for him first and foremost. Even through all the trials and troubles and temptations that come to us, we are foolish enough to be of good cheer, believing that he has overcome the world. My friends, has anyone ever told you they thought you were a little bit crazy? I mean that in a good way. Are we living our lives in such a sold-out way for Christ that people say, she's mad, or he's beside himself, or they say, they have lost their minds? Pastor Bill Carter tells a story about his friend, Bill. Bill is also a pastor who has been accused of being a little bit nuts. Bill does workshops for churches on clowning. Not long ago, he was in a distant city packing up after a workshop. The phone rang. Nobody was around, so he answered. Are you a minister? Someone asked. Yes, actually I am. Come quickly, said the voice. Our child is dying of leukemia. Bill dropped everything. He ran out to his rental car and drove to the hospital. He parked the car, ran up the steps through the double doors and down the hall. Suddenly it hit him. He was still dressed as a clown with a white face, red nose, orange hair, and green suspenders. He didn't have time to change, it was an emergency. He kept going. He found the room, knocked on the door, and entered the room where a young girl in a hospital bed lay surrounded by her family. We call for a minister, not a clown, said the father. The child replied, he's better than a minister. <laughs> Can he stay? No one dared to deny her request. Bill sat on the edge of the hospital bed. He sang songs. He told Bible stories. He cradled the little girl in his arms until the end. When the last moments came, she made a final request. Would you come to my funeral? So that's how it happened. On the third day, Crazy Bill stood with white face, red nose, orange hair, and green suspenders. He didn't speak a word, yet he led the people as they laughed and cried and remembered the little girl's life. A few people present thought it was wrong to have a clown at a funeral, much less lead the service. They murmured afterwards, that minister is out of his mind. He's crazy. By all the proper canons of pastoral protocol, they were probably correct. But there he stood, 
acting as if God's joyful power has already defeated death. Was he crazy? Who can say? All we know is that Bill heard Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life. And Bill acted accordingly. Friends, the sign in the church office reads, you don't have to be crazy to work here, but it helps. When you do the work of Jesus and live a life of faith, you might appear to the rest of the world as a little off. We followers of Jesus Christ march to the beat of a different drummer from the rest of the world. That's because we're family, his kinfolk. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I'd ask Pastor Rick to join me at the table.
Before I give the benediction, I just want to give a shout out to uh, two people who were seminary classmates back in the day, the Cartwrights. Would y'all, do, do you mind standing and saying hello to everybody?
I don't think we've seen each other since seminary. So it's great to have you with us. Thank you for being here. Now let us receive the benediction. Go forth in peace, having been nurtured at the table by the body, body and blood of Christ, by his grace which is always with us, by the kinship that we share with one another through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And let us go forth into this world that needs the love of Christ so much, offering it in our lives the best way we can. And may the blessings of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.